Good morning, Keystone. It's good to be back with you. Uh, it felt a little bit weird to me where we were gathering together every kind of every single night, uh, and then to have a week off uh, just kind of felt a little bit different. Uh, but I, I hope you enjoyed Life Action. I, I hope that you um, sense God speaking to you throughout that week. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, just being able to gather with you all every night uh, and sing together. Uh, and, and it was also uh, nice to be able to just kind of uh, be one of the people and sit and hear someone else preach. Uh, but I, I'm also excited to be able to preach again this morning. I was looking forward to this uh, as we wrap up our series on prayer that we've been doing, both leading up to Life Action and now this one time after Life Action. Um, I, I'm hoping that this builds off of what Life Action said and hopefully continues us on it in whatever way God was kind of speaking to you, working in you that week, uh, while also wrapping up this series that we've been doing on uh, some of what Paul emphasizes in prayer uh, in his letters that he writes in the New Testament. I want to start out this morning uh, with just two questions uh, and and thinking about both of them. Uh, I'm not going to force you to turn to your neighbor and talk, although we might do that in the future. That was one of the things I appreciate about Life Action is just getting to have conversations with people. Uh, but you can just think of the answer in your head to these. Uh, and, and here's the first one. In some ways, a, a big question. Uh, what would you say is the greatest problem in our world right now? Just take a minute and think about it. What, what would you say? If you, this is the greatest problem in our world right now is this. You, you'd likely get all sorts of different answers if you ask people that question. Uh, and if you Googled that question, you, you come up with all sorts of answers as well. It, it might be uh, human rights violations across the globe. Uh, it, it might be military conflicts or, or threats of military conflicts. Uh, it, it, it might be climate change. It, it might be poverty and access to food and uh, housing that, that is short. It, it might be access to affordable health care. It, it might be abortion. It might be the, the kind of disintegration of families and marriages across our world and our culture. You get all sorts of answers. And, and it's not that, that those aren't problems. And it's not that those aren't things that we shouldn't care about as Christians and should just dismiss. We, we, we should care about those types of problems. But As Christians, we also have a very unique answer to what is the greatest problem in the world. And our our answer would be this, that humans have rebelled against the God who's created them, that we've sinned against him, that we've committed a type of cosmic treason in trying to take his place, and that as a result, we are in a position where we deserve his judgment and wrath. That is the greatest problem in the world for every single person across history in every single location. And and as Christians, we would not only say, well, that's the greatest problem, but we would also then say, we have God's solution to that problem. I mean, just, just stop and think about that with me for a moment. If you are a follower of Christ... Your faith is in Christ to save you. You have the solution to the world's greatest problem. You know the solution to the world's greatest problem. What what is it? It, the, The gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived the life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die, was raised back to life, conquering Satan, sin, and death, 
And so offers forgiveness for all people everywhere at all times if they repent and trust in him. Like that is the, every time that someone hears that message and responds in repentance and faith, the world's greatest problem is solved. Now, hold, hold that in your mind in one place. And then I'm going to ask another question. Here, here's the second question. What are some of the biggest problems in your own life right now? Just think of one or two or three. What are some of the biggest problems in your own life right now? Maybe it relates to health issues. Maybe it relates to financial issues. Maybe it relates to relational issues or or parenting issues or marriage issues or, or a host of other things. We should ask, I think, ourselves... Do our prayers focus only on these problems? Or do they also focus on the greatest problem in the world? Do our prayers only focus on whatever problems we are facing in our life? Or do they also focus on the greatest problem the world has? It's not that we shouldn't be praying for those problems in our lives. But I wonder how often those things consume our praying And prayers for the advancement of the gospel and God's glory in this world is barely existent or entirely absent from praying. Now, I don't say that to guilt us. I say that more as a confession of the imbalance that I see in my own praying. That so often whatever problem I'm facing becomes the greatest problem in the world. And I forget, no, there's a greater problem. And it's that people don't know Christ and that the gospel is the solution to it. We're going to look at several different passages this morning. Uh, And in two of these passages, uh, in Colossians and Ephesians, uh, we'll look at one in Colossians, one in Ephesians, and one in 2 Corinthians, each just three verses. But in Colossians and Ephesians, Paul is not in these passages saying what he's praying for the people he's writing to. Rather, he's asking them to pray for him here. And this is where it's really helpful for us to know the situation that Paul is in as he's writing these words. Most likely, Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, or under house arrest, I should say, under house arrest in Rome. So he's in a house that he can't leave with a Roman soldier guarding him at all times, or perhaps even that he's chained to a Roman soldier at all times. And he's there, we think, for probably about two years. If I'm Paul and I'm writing a letter and I get to the place where it's time for me to give my prayer requests, you know what number one is on my list? Pray that I get out of here. Like pray that they set me free. All I did was preach Jesus. I didn't do anything wrong. Pray that I don't get executed. Pray for me. But, but we don't see that showing up in Paul as he asks them to pray for him. Rather, what we see is his main concern is not ultimately with his problems, but the greatest problem. And he knows the solution is the advancement of the gospel. And so he asks people to pray for that. If there's one thing, one main thing, I would say, maybe that stuck out to me, the week of life action, that, that God was maybe convicting me of or bring up in my own life, it's, it's how easy it is for me to get consumed with my problems, my issues, my life, and become so narrow-focused on, in many ways, me, Kyle, and forget or ignore or miss that God wants to work in and through me 
to advance the gospel in this world, wants to work in and through you to advance the gospel in this world so that the greatest problem the world has might be solved as people come to faith in Christ. My, my hope this morning is to hit on this big idea, that the gospel advances through the prayers of God's people. That the gospel advances through the prayers of God's people. And, and that's not to denigrate or minimize the, the role we have in proclaiming the gospel. Like, we must proclaim the gospel if people are going to believe it. Romans 10, 14 through 15 makes that clear. People have to hear the gospel. We have to proclaim it. But, but proclamation and prayer go hand in hand, as we will hopefully see this morning. We're going to look at these three different passages. Uh, first of all, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And, and we're going to ask three questions as we go along this morning. And, and we'll spend most of the time answering the first question, less time in the second two. And here are the three questions, just so you know up front. They're on your notes if you have the notes. The first is, how can we the advancement of the gospel? Second is, what, what causes us to give up praying for the advancement of the gospel? And then third, what can motivate us to keep praying for the advancement of the gospel? When we're tempted to give up, or, or it's not a problem, what, what can motivate us to keep praying for it? So let, let me... Uh, pray for us before we jump into that first passage in Colossians and, and ask our first question here. God, we, we want to uh, hear from you this morning. We want to be shaped by your word this morning. We want our lives to be about what is most important. Most important. And we want you to be the one who, who tells us that and who guides us. And so we ask, speak to us, shape us, change us, motivate us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so first looking at uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, asking the question, how can I be praying for the advancement of the gospel? And we ask that question as we look at all three of these passages. But let's read together, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So we'd say, okay, first way that we can be praying for the advancement of the gospel is this, that we might pray for God to open up opportunities to proclaim the gospel. In these verses, Paul is writing and, and saying, would you pray for us, talking about himself and other gospel workers that, that might be with him at this time or visiting him at this time, and saying, would you pray for us that, that God might open up a door to declare the mystery of Christ? Or in other words, the, the gospel that Jesus offers salvation to all people in all places at all times, regardless of who they are, or their background or ethnicity. And Paul's saying, pray that we might have opportunities Pray that there would be open doors to tell other people about Jesus. This is a, I think, really in many ways simple prayer. We can be praying for missionaries we might know, praying for unreached peoples across the globe, but also praying for ourselves day by day by day. This may result in God bringing about opportunities that we never saw coming before, like opportunities that come out of the blue, like, like maybe it's a, a stranger we end up having a conversation with and, and all of a sudden we've got this opportunity to proclaim the gospel. But I also suspect that if we pray this prayer, 
part of what God does in responding to it is simply opening our eyes to the opportunities that were right in front of us all along that we never saw before. It, it might be a little bit like this. Uh, last year, my wife and I were, were looking for a minivan. And we were trying to narrow down or choose what minivan we were going to buy. And we were debating between a, a Honda Odyssey and a Chrysler Pacifica. And so we're researching these two and we're test driving them and we're thinking about them for two to three weeks. And you know what happened? I started seeing Honda Odysseys and Chrysler Pacificas everywhere. Everywhere. Like, I don't know if I ever saw one before those two weeks. And in those two weeks, I saw hundreds. Now, was it really that there were more Lancaster County moms driving Pacificas and Odysseys those two weeks than ever before? No. It's just that I never had eyes to be able to see them as I'm thinking about them and researching them, and all of a sudden, my eyes are open to just how many there are. I think that might be similar to what God does when we start to pray day in and out. God, give me opportunities to proclaim the gospel, that that slowly but surely he opens our eyes to see that there are opportunities around us that maybe we never even saw before. At work, at home, with family, with friends, with neighbors, others that, that we never even considered before. Now, I want to ask two farther questions related to this before we move on to to the second way we might pray. And here's the first one. Am I putting myself into situations where God might open a door? Am I putting myself into situations where God might open a door? Because if we read on in verses 5 and 6, Paul's going to speak to the Colossians and he's going to tell them to act wisely towards outsiders and to be ready to give an answer. Paul assumes they are in situations relating to people, interacting with people who don't know Christ, that opportunities might present themselves. And even as I read that, I'm convicted of it because I think about how much I spend my time just interacting with those who already know Christ and not with others. Not not even maybe being in situations where God might open up an opportunity. But I think we need to be asking, am I putting myself in opportunities? That, That might be in showing hospitality to others, like was emphasized during the week of life action, that we welcome those who don't know Christ into our homes and our lives, praying, God, give me an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. It, it, it might be in getting coffee with a coworker or a friend and praying, God, God open an opportunity here. It, it might be in playing on a sports team in high school and your only goal or your main goal maybe isn't even just to win games. But God, give me an opportunity to tell teammates about Christ and to reflect him as I play this sport. And then as we put ourselves into those situations, are we looking for open doors to proclaim the gospel? Or or maybe just another way to word that, are we looking for cracks in the door, openings that we might proclaim the gospel? I, I I think of it this way. Uh, recently, my, my in-laws moved in next door to us. And, and as they moved in, we, we kind of had to figure out uh, boundaries as far as space because we've got a grandson or we've got a son who loves to see grandma and grandpa. And so they came up with this great idea where if the door is closed, we know, okay, you, you don't go over, right? We stay on our side. But if there's just a crack in the door, well, then you can knock and go in. 
And so my, my son is not waiting for the door to be open, for them to come over and invite him in and have this walk. He, he's just out there. Is there a crack in the door? Is there a crack in the door? And he's going out and he's looking. Is there a crack in the door? And if there is, he, he's knocking and, and he's trying to go in. I think that's one of the ways we, we might think as we look for opportunities to bring the gospel. Is there a crack in the door? And maybe it's asking questions that, that might open up a crack in the door. Maybe it's someone sharing something difficult with you and, and you being able to say, hey, can I pray with you? And afterwards, hey, can, can I share you about where I found hope in my own life? Maybe it's listening to someone else's story and then saying, hey, can I share my story with you? Like where, where might there be cracks in the door? What might be cracks that we can look for that are open opportunities to proclaim the gospel? And then the second question here maybe is obvious, but we should ask, am I prepared to proclaim the gospel if a door opens to me? Like if someone came up to me or you right now and says, hey, can you tell me about what you believe about Jesus? Would I be ready to give an answer? Would I be ready to declare, yeah, here's the hope I have in Christ. Here's the gospel. Let me lay it out for you. If we get to the place in a relationship with somewhere else where we say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Do we, do we have a plan for how we might do that? Now, let me be careful of like, it's never going to go how you and I would plan it to go. Like how we have the plan, it's never going to look like that. So I, I don't want to present that in any way. But, but do we have some sort of plan? H- have we practiced? Here's how I would share my testimony with someone and point to Christ. H- have we thought about a way that we could proclaim, present the gospel in, in a succinct manner? We've mentioned at Keystone before the, the three circles tool. And if you would just look on your phone and in the app store, there's an app called Three Circles that you can download that just walks you through, how do I proclaim the gospel in two minutes? And something we might be practicing so that if and when God opens a door, we are prepared in some ways to proclaim the gospel. This then leads, I think, to the second way we can be praying for the gospel to advance. And so let's jump to Ephesians 6. 18 through 20. We're going to see that we can pray for God to give boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In these verses, Paul specifically praying for people to, or asking people to pray for boldness for him to proclaim the gospel. In fact, he, he mentions it twice in two verses, verse 19 and verse 20. Hey, pray for boldness. I need boldness. I need boldness. If Paul, the world's greatest missionary, who's been on three missionary journeys by this point in his life, probably proclaimed the gospel thousands of times in his life, still needs prayers for boldness, then surely I do, and you do as well. Here's where we might stop and ask too. Why isn't it easier to proclaim the gospel? Do you feel that? Why isn't it easier for us to proclaim the gospel? Like, we we believe it's good news God gave up his son in love to forgive us and offer us life forever. And that's available to anyone and everyone. That's incredibly good news. So why is it so difficult for us to think about or 
actually act in proclaiming the gospel. Because there is an enemy who opposes the proclamation of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, with every single ounce of his power. These verses come in the context of spiritual warfare against Satan and demonic powers. In fact, just back up with me six verses earlier, and we find these words in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to be awake to the fact that there is an enemy who exerts every single ounce of his power in trying to keep the gospel from advancing and to keep you and me from ever opening our mouths and proclaiming it to someone else. And if we are awake to that, we recognize prayers for boldness are a great weapon that we have. I think of it in this way, to put it in in blunt terms. If I were stepping into grizzly bear territory, I would not step in there without either a gun or bear spray because I want a weapon in case someone's coming at me, a grizzly bear's coming at me. When you and I pray for and start to seek the advancement of the gospel, we are stepping into enemy territory. And he wants to do everything possible to keep our mouths shut and quiet our prayers. And prayer for boldness is one of the greatest ways that we can become awake to that and pray against him and have a weapon that we might fight against all the ways he tries to dissuade us and discourage us from seeking the advancement of the gospel. But as we see, if Satan can't keep us from proclaiming the gospel, then he simply tries to blind people's eyes to the truth and beauty of Christ. We we can see this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. You can see it up on the screen or or turn there if you want. Paul says there, in in their case, talking of those who don't know Christ or, or don't believe in Christ, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like Paul here gives an answer to the question. This is the main thing he's doing, but he does give an answer to the question. Why do people reject the gospel when they hear it proclaimed? It's good news. Why do people reject it? Why do people resist it? Why do people remain apathetic to it? Why? Why do people refuse to believe Jesus? Paul says at the core, people refuse to repent of sin and believe the gospel because Satan has blinded them from seeing the glory of Jesus. And so what's the solution? For God to shine a light in and open their hearts and eyes to, to see the beauty that was always right there, but they couldn't see before. One of my uh, hopes in my own life is to someday get to visit 
uh, Machu Picchu. I don't know that I'm actually pronouncing that correctly, but have any of you been there before? No, okay, it's a, a, mount, okay, where, it's a mountain in Peru. Uh, and, and on top of this mountain, there's this, uh, the remains of a city from the, the Incan em- Empire. And it's supposed to be this incredibly beautiful, amazing, wonderful site. But one of the problems that people encounter when they visit Machu Picchu is that there's often a lot of fog, especially early in the morning. And, and so you look out, and there's this beautiful site right in front of you, and yet you can't see it because there's fog covering it up. And it's not until the, the sun shines in, clears the fog, that you can see the second picture, that you're a- actually able to see how incredible and beautiful this site is. The same reality is present with the gospel. That, that people, people don't ignore and reject the gospel because it's not good news. People don't ignore and reject the gospel because your words are inadequate. Though, though trust me, they always will be. Like, welcome to being a preacher and trying to proclaim the gospel. will always be inadequate. P- people don't reject the gospel because Christ isn't incredibly beautiful and glorious and awesome. People reject the gospel because we're blinded to it unless God opens our eyes and removes the veil and enables us to see. We have to get that truth, I think, deep down into us that we cannot save anyone. Like you can give the world's greatest presentation of the gospel. You can be in tears, soaring to heights, and the other person can be standing there saying, I don't care. Because we cannot save anyone. We're fully dependent on God to open eyes and help people to see the beauty of Christ. And that should drive us to over and over and over and over again, pray for those who don't know Christ. To pray for those we love who don't know Christ yet. Family, friends, neighbors, others. To pray for those we're seeking to reach. To pray for the unreached. God, please open their eyes to see the glory of Christ, to see the gospel for what it is, and to repent and believe. But even as we we say that, I think we're we're led into the second question, or should be. What causes us to give up praying for the advancement of the gospel? Or we might say say to never even start, but I think it's more. What causes us to to give up praying for the advancement of the gospel? In in each of those passages we read, although one, it's a couple verses earlier, there's this hint at the fact that praying for the advancement of the gospel requires endurance, or that it's tempting to give up. We can see it in Colossians 4.2, Ephesians 6.18, and 2 Corinthians 4.1. I'll have those displayed on the screen here. But in Colossians 4.2, Paul mentions the need for, for Christians to pray steadfastly. Keep going, keep doing it, don't give up. In Ephesians 6.18, he mentions the need to persevere, perseverance in praying, don't give up, keep going. And in 2 Corinthians 4.1, he talks about the fact that, that we don't lose heart, implying it. It's really tempting to lose heart when we're seeking the advancement of the gospel. In all three of these passages, we find the truth of what Sam Storm says is the easiest thing about praying. What's the easiest thing about praying? It's the easiest thing about praying. The easiest thing about praying is quitting. Giving up seems so reasonable and so easy to justify. Do you feel that? I mean, that... that, that quote just hits me because I feel that. Absolutely. Easiest thing is just quitting because it doesn't seem to be making any difference. 
So with these verses in mind, I want us to think about three reasons we might give up praying for the advancement of the gospel. There's probably more than this, but these are the three that I'm most likely to believe and just give up. Here's the first one. This makes no difference that I can observe. This makes no difference that I can observe. Maybe it's in praying for someone you know and love to come to Christ. And the longer you pray, the more you just see them seem to be drifting and the more resistant they seem to be the gospel. This makes no difference. Maybe it's in praying for unreached people groups and you think, I'm probably never actually going to see any results of these prayers. I'm probably never going to see any results of all these, any time that I spend praying for those people. Maybe it's in praying for opportunities for the, to proclaim the gospel to come into your life, and you just never seem to see those opportunities. It's really tempting to look at prayer and to say, it's not making any difference I can observe, so it's not worth my time anymore. And I, I feel that deeply. I do. I, we, we have this tendency, I think, to be so results-driven, and we take that even to our praying, and we think, Okay, I invested this amount of praying so that's this amount of change that I should see. And when we don't see it, we say, I should just give up. But, but prayer is not this project we do based on the results we might see. Prayer is an act of faith and obedience and a good father who says, ask, seek, knock, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because I love you and I want you to call out to me and pray to me and trust me. The, the, the second reason that I think we might give up is this. The need and challenges are so big and my prayers feel so small. Feel that? The need and challenges, I mean, just think about someone you know who seems resistant to the gospel. The challenges of that person coming to faith in Christ seem ginormous in our eyes. Think about Think about praying for the unreached of this world. The best estimates we have are that there are over 3 billion people who are unreached. Part of about 7,000 people groups who are unreached. Who've never heard the gospel or who don't have access to the gospel. 3 billion. Like I can't even get that number in my mind and make sense of it. The, the need to reach those people and the challenges in front, that's ginormous. What are my puny little prayers compared to those challenges? Do do you feel that? And I I feel that. And I'm so tempted to give up or just not pray in general because I think, ah, the need is too big. What are my puny little prayers? But how easily we forget it's not about the size or the power of our prayers, but about the size and power of the God who we pray to. I mean, look, look back at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And track with what Paul says here. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do do you see what Paul's argument is there? Do you see his logic there? Sure, the need is great, but my God spoke light into the darkness. Like when you and I pray, we, we pray to the God who spoke one word into utter darkness and poof, the sun appeared, the moon appeared, and all the stars appeared. 
with one word. Like if, if God can create the ginormous fireball of the sun with just a word, then there is no need or challenge that is too great for him. That's your God, that's my God. Do, do we believe that? Do we, do we feel that deep down? Like if he spoke light into the darkness, there is no people group that is so covered in darkness that God can't cause the light of the gospel to shine into. If he spoke light into the darkness, there's no person in your life who is so opposed to the gospel that God can't save with just one word. We, we do not rely on the size or power of our prayers in advancing the gospel, but on the size and power of the God who we pray to. Because yes, our prayers are absolutely puny and the need is absolutely great and your God and my God is so much greater. So much greater. And then the third, third reason that we might give up praying. God hasn't answered yet, so he probably never will. God hasn't answered yet, so he probably never will. Or, or just God hasn't answered yet, so I should probably give up. This is such a difficult struggle to pray day after day after day, especially for someone you love and know who doesn't know Christ and to see absolutely no change. And Satan whispers in your ears and my ears in those moments and says, it's no good. Just give up. God's not going to answer that prayer. They're hopeless. You're wasting your time. And God speaks into our ears in those moments and says, trust me. I love you. Keep coming to me. Keep calling out to me. Keep praying. Be steadfast. Persevere. Don't lose heart. Just because I haven't answered that prayer yet doesn't mean that I won't. God, God wants you and I to persevere in prayer. And our refusal to give up praying where he hasn't answered yet is an act of faith in him that honors and glorifies him. This is where, for myself, stories of people who persevered in prayer can be so helpful to my own soul. I think it is for, for all Christians. It's stories of people who persevered in prayer can just be really helpful to our own souls in this area. I, I came across one of these stories this week uh, by a, a person by the name of George Mueller. And, and maybe you recognize that name. Uh, George Mueller is kind of well known for uh, founding multiple orphanages and ministries in England in the 19th century and, and then running these ministries. And he decided before he ever started uh, that he was never going to uh, ask other people to meet his need. Now, we, I might disagree with whether he should have or not, but this was, he said, I'm never going to ask to other people. I'm just going to pray to God uh, b- because then I'm going to ultimately give God all the glory when, when he gives the, the need. And so if he had a need, he, w- he would pray to God and, and then wait for God to supply it. And, and people were reading back through his journals after he died and, and estimate that there's something along the lines of like 50,000 answers to prayer that George Mueller has recorded in his journals. I read that and I thought, man, I hope people don't read my journals after I die. Uh, I'm not sure there's going to be 50,000. That's, that's, that's incredible. 50,000 answers to prayer. But Mueller also knew what it was like to struggle in prayer. It, when he was uh, 39 years old in 1844, he resolved to pray for five people he knew who didn't know Christ, that God might save them and then be converted. He said, I'm going to pray every single day for these same five people. He prayed 18 months before the first one came to fight, Christ. Every single day, 18 months. 
He prayed five years. Five years. That's about four years longer than I probably would have went. Five years before the second one came to Christ. Prayed 11 total years every day before the third one came to Christ. He prayed 52 years of his life for the other two and never saw them come to faith in Christ. Yet day by day prayed for them. And then eventually after his death, those two did come to faith in Christ. Now, I don't share that story to to tell us, well, if you just pray for someone day by day, they'll definitely come to faith in Christ. I don't think that's a promise we have. And I think Mueller probably prayed for other people who he never saw come to faith in Christ. I share that story because it both challenges and confronts me in how quickly I'm tempted to give up in praying. And it motivates me to keep going, keep persevering, keep praying for the advancement of the gospel. Just because God hasn't answered yet doesn't mean that he's never going to answer. That gets into our final question then this morning. What can motivate us to keep praying for the advancement of the gospel? When we're tempted to give up praying for the advancement of the gospel, which we absolutely will be. We absolutely will be. We'll be tempted to give up, give up, give up, give up. When we're tempted to give up, what can motivate us to keep going? And I want to give two things here. There's probably more than this, but, but two that kind of relate to the passages we read. Here's the first. Your faith is God's answer to someone else's prayers. The reason, if you're a Christian and you're trusting in Christ today, part of the reason of why that is is because God answered someone else's prayers in the process who were praying for you. Like the the beauty of praying for the advancement of the gospel is that we shouldn't be able to pray for that without reflecting on the miracle of God's salvation in our own life. Without remembering, God, God, you you shine light into the darkness of my life. God, you, you opened up my eyes that were blind. God, you drew me to faith in Christ. And if you didn't, I'd still be hopeless and lost. But you did it. I think this is part of what Paul is talking about when he says in Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That as we pray steadfastly for salvation of others, it should cause us to then burst in thankfulness that God has saved us. And as we reflect on that, we should remember, okay, God, God part of our story of salvation was someone else's prayers. This is maybe more likely if you came to faith older in your life and you didn't grow up in the church because I would be willing to bet, if not guarantee, part of your story is that there was someone else or multiple people, friends, family who loved you and were praying for you, praying for you, praying for you, and then God answered their prayers. Your faith, your salvation is an answer to someone else's prayers. But maybe you think, well, okay, but Kyle, I came to faith when I was like four, five, six, seven, and I grew up in the church, and there, there's nothing really great about that story. You're wrong. You're wrong. It is no less a miracle that God saved you if you came to faith when you were four, five, six, seven, or whatever else it might be. And here's what I'd also be willing to bet, that you had parents or grandparents or others who prayed for you every day since the moment you were in the womb to come to faith in Christ. And they prayed for four years or five years or six years or seven years. And then God answered their prayer. Like no matter who you are, if your faith is in Christ, it is God's answer to someone else's prayers who are praying for you. Let, let, let that sink into us and encourage us when we are tempted to give up praying for others. 
God answered prayers to save you. Surely he can do it in answering your prayers to save someone else. And then the second thing, God promises the gospel will advance to the ends of the earth. Let me just read a couple of passages. We could have looked at more, but that hopefully stir our hearts to keep praying for the advancement of the gospel. Psalm 22, 27 through 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Isaiah 52, 10. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Or Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a Cinderella story where we are holding our fingers and hoping in the end it wins out. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about a king who's already won and who's advancing his kingdom right now and whose kingdom will reign and last forever when he returns. Like like that should drive us to pray for the advancement of his kingdom right now. That, That does not mean everyone you and I pray for will come to faith in Christ. That's not at all what I'm saying. But it does mean as long as we have breath in our lungs and are still alive, God is about advancing the gospel. In your family, among your friends, in your neighborhoods, in our neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth. So don't give up. Like, don't give up. Keep praying for the advancement of the gospel. Because our king has won, his kingdom is advancing, and his kingdom will last forever with all people. Now, I want to suggest four ways we we can put this into action in our own lives, what we just talked about this morning. Four ways. Here's the first one. Keep praying for that person or people in your life who you love and who you long to see come to faith in Christ. No matter how long you have prayed for them, no matter how many results you've seen, keep praying for that person. Persevere in prayer that God might save them. Here's the second one. Life Action talked about the idea of us loving one more person. Who's the one more person we can love? As as we think about that, pray for that person. Pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel to them. Pray pray for boldness in those opportunities. And pray that God might open their eyes to the glory of Christ and save them. Here's the the third one. We've talked a lot at Keystone in recent times about adopting an unreached people group and praying for them. That, 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 that's part of our once uh, mission vision, that everyone might hear the gospel once in their lives. And so to find a people group on Joshua Project and, and to start praying for them, knowing full well, I'm probably never going to see the results of these prayers. But I'm going to act in faith that God calls me to pray for the advancement of the gospel and trust him to do it, even if I never see it. And then number four, after I close us in prayer, we're going to see a video and hear from Pastor Keith about one way that we might be intentional as a people in praying for those who don't know Christ over the next month. And so let me close this in prayer, and then you can direct your eyes to the screen. Father, we pray your 
kingdom come. Your kingdom come. God, make us people who are about the advancement of your kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel. Make us people who are desperate in praying for the advancement of the gospel, who are firm in praying for the advancement of the gospel, and who, when we falter and give up, like we probably will at times, to then preach the gospel to ourselves and remember, but, but Jesus has won, and it's his righteousness that covers us, and, and it's his blood that forgives us, and, and then to continue praying that others might come to know the hope that's found in him. Father, we, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.